We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. Well, in our culture, we are familiar with uh, certain symbols that serve as kind of a reminder or a declaration of something larger than itself. So we have different symbols in our cultures. Let me give you a couple of pictures of, of symbols that we know represent something bigger. The first one uh, we see here is this. This is uh, uh, wedding rings, and that represents a symbolic of a covenant that's been made between two people. Um, to share life together, to be committed to one another. So anywhere you see wedding rings, whether it's on someone else or whether it's on your own hand, it serves as a covenant, a reminder of a covenant, a symbol of a covenant that's been made. Here, here's another uh, symbol that some of you are familiar with. This is the American flag. It's a symbol of freedom. It, it kind of reminds us of the freedom we have in our nation. So this serves, every time you see a flag, there's just this reminder of, man, I, I'm an American, I live in a free country, and I'm, I'm grateful for the freedom that we have. And then you have the next symbol here. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a reminder of the greatest athlete that's ever walked the planet. And um, so whenever you see this, you're just reminded that LeBron will always be second best. That's what that does. And, and um, now listen, the next one is important here. We got to see this symbol here. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yes, some of you are clapping. Yes, this is a symbol of eternal and perpetual disappointment. That's what uh, this is a symbol of. So uh, for those of you who are Cowboy fans, don't email me. Don't email me. Um, please don't. Uh, just, just go and, and lick your wounds and all be well. All right? Well, listen, as Christians, we have been given uh, a couple of symbols, symbols that remind us of something larger than the act itself. We are, we are called, as the New Testament church, to practice two things that we call ordinances. Ordinances are simply this. Let me give you a definition of an ordinance. It's, it's a symbolic picture of something that represents something larger than itself. So we have these things called ordinances, which are symbols for us, and this is what an ordinance is. It's a ceremony that Christ has commanded to be administered in His church as visible signs and reminders of the saving work of the gospel. That's what an ordinance is. So it's, it's something, it's a ceremony, a practice that we uh, do here that is symbolic of the saving work of Christ. And so Jesus gives us two ordinances or two, these two symbols uh, that we are to uh, encounter and experience. That is the Lord's Supper um, and, and baptism. Both of these serve as a reminder or, or, or this, this declaration of the, the finished work of Christ. It's a sign for us that as we partake in the Lord's Supper, as we are baptized or witness baptism, we are, we are reminded of, of the finished work of, of Jesus Christ. So, so much like, again, going back to the wedding ring, uh, every time I, I feel this on my uh, hand and, 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 or see a, a wedding ring, I'm, I'm reminded of 
the covenant that I've made with my wife. This, this, this relationship that we have that is not just merely a friendship relationship, but rather we're bound together uh, in this covenant, and the wedding ring is a reminder of that covenant. It's a symbol uh, of that covenant. Well, this morning, I want to talk about the, the ordinance of baptism. I want to talk about this symbol that we have called baptism. If baptism is something we are commanded to do as believers and something we are commanded to practice as a church, as we see converts made, we baptize them in the name of Jesus. What I want to do is be able to understand why we do this and if you've been saved and baptized, why you should celebrate this. And so if this is something that's a part of the rhythm of our church, then we want to know why we do this, why this is so significant, so that we would appreciate this thing that we have called uh, baptism. So cards on the table this morning, all right? Cards on the table, all right? So I've got an aim for this morning. For some of you this morning, as I unpack this and explain what baptism is, you may feel a sense that God is calling you to respond in faith to the message of the gospel. That you're going to hear the gospel. Maybe you've heard the gospel a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. Maybe you, you're very familiar with it. Or maybe this is kind of your first time to really hear a clear presentation of the gospel. But you're going to sense this in your heart this morning, and you're going to respond by faith to the gospel. So I want you to know that if that's you this morning, if you sense the Lord moving in your heart, like I know what he's saying, and I've heard this before, but I sense I need to respond by faith to this, then I'm going to challenge you and encourage you to be obedient to this. The second thing I want to see happen this morning in my heart's desire and what we've been praying for uh, leading up to this morning is that for some of you, you're going to receive Christ as Savior today and then you're going to be baptized this morning. You're going to respond and be baptized. Others of you, you, you you've, you've received Christ. Maybe it was several years ago. Maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it was a couple of days ago. You, you responded. And this morning, there's going to be this re- reminder of what you've decided in regards to Jesus being the Lord of your life. But you've never, since that moment, have gone public with that through baptism. So as it's explained this morning, some of you are going to be compelled. Like, I want to be baptized. I need to be baptized. Now that I understand it, I need to be baptized. And some of you... You, you experienced salvation maybe a few weeks ago in this last series, but, but aren't, haven't been able to until maybe this morning put your finger on it that that's what happened in my life. And so today you're going to be given an opportunity to go public with that in baptism. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. All right? You're thinking, I didn't come prepared for that. Right? And, and those of you who are part of this church, you know that we, we've talked about this a lot. We're professional baptizers here at New Beginnings. And, uh, and so, so some of you are like, I didn't come prepared to be baptized this morning. And so a couple of things that I would just tell you, a couple of excuses that you'll make because you aren't prepared is, I didn't bring any change of clothes. Well, here's the great news for you. We went shopping just for you. We've got shorts. We've got undergarments. We've got a t-shirt for you. We even brought towels, hair dryers. We have everything for you, all right? Uh, you can take everything with you except the hair dryer, okay? We keep those here. Um, some of you are like, well, I can't do that because, man, I, I want some friends and family. And that's why I'm telling you before I get to the, the point of the sermon, you can call them now or text them now and say, there's a good chance I'll be baptized in the next 35 or 40 minutes or so. So you've got time uh, to get here. Others of you, you're like, man, I rode with a friend and I don't know if that friend's going to want to wait on me uh, afterwards. Here's the thing. We will provide a ride for you home. And if the friend that brought you is a member of our church, we'll even practice church discipline on them because they refused to wait on you to be baptized, all right? 
So, so this morning, you're going to be given an opportunity to respond by faith to the gospel and be baptized. Others of you who have become believers already and you've never gone public, maybe you're compelled this morning to be baptized. We want to present an opportunity for you. And then for those of you who have been saved and baptized, listen, I'm hoping you walk away with, with this understanding of what it is that you have done in your baptism and what it is that you should celebrate as a follower of Jesus. All right, so grab your Bibles and let's jump in. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to start. And what I want to do this morning is I want to answer three simple questions about baptism. Three simple questions about baptism that helps us understand. Now, this first question is going to take a little bit of work and we're going to have to unpack this a little bit for us to, to, to get a, a handle on what it is that we do when we're being baptized. So the first question I want to ask this morning is what is the significance of baptism? What is the significance of of baptism. So Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Start reading with me in verse number 1. It says, what shall we say then? This is Paul the apostle writing. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, now, here's what's happening in the text. I want to make sure that we understand what Paul is arguing here. There were, there were some who were believing that because salvation, this, this free gift that God has given us is a free gift, it is by grace and grace alone, that there are some that believe that we can continue to live in sin simply because we have God's grace. In other words, since God saved me by grace and not by my works, then I can continue to live in sin because after all, I've got God's grace. In other words, they can, they can take advantage of the salvation that has been given to them freely and, and, and continue to live in sin. And Paul is addressing this and, and, and showing them that, no, 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 when you experience the grace of God, there is a transforming work happen, that has happened in your life that frees you from sin's power. So salvation, even though it's by grace, doesn't uh, leave you in a life of sin, but rather frees you from a life of sin. And this is how. This is where we get into the main text of the morning. This is where he explains how this works. He, he says in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. Now, here's, here is what Paul is doing here. He is showing us what happens in a person's life when they place their faith and trust in Jesus. And he makes this reference here uh, to being baptized. Those of you who are baptized into Christ. Now here's what I believe is happening in the text. I don't believe that Paul is, is speaking directly about physical water baptism here. Although he's using it as a reference point. The, the reference that Paul is making here is, is not of, of physical water baptism, but rather the spiritual baptism that happens in the person's life when they by faith trust in Christ. He's talking about the transforming work of Christ that happens in the person's life, that, that there is a spiritual baptism that happens in our life when we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. In other words, he is speaking to the spiritual reality that the symbolic act of physical baptism is referring to. So it's not water baptism he's referring to, it's what water baptism is pointing to that he's referring to. Does that make sense? 
So, so here's what he's explaining. He's explaining what happens in the person's life when a person saves. So I don't want everyone to assume in, in a room like this, even though we're in East Texas, that when I talk about being saved or the gospel, that we're all on the same page. So let me just unpack and backtrack a little bit to make sure we, we get this. Paul has been explaining throughout the book of Romans the reality of our need for a Savior and that that saving work that has come to us in Christ is experienced by God's grace through our faith in what God has offered in Christ. And here's what I mean. Paul talks about the reality earlier on in Romans that we are sinners, that we've been separated from God, that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which simply means this, is that every single one of us are born into a a spiritual condition of being a sinner, that we have sinned against God, that we are born sinners, and that sin has separated us from God, that all of us um, have sinned and we've fallen short of God's standard. And the scripture goes on to say that the wages of that sin is death, eternal separation from God, ultimately the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sin being aimed toward us. That This is the spiritual reality. This is why when we talk about the gospel, we talk about it in terms of salvation. Like when we use the, like this question that we often ask, have you ever been saved? And I know sometimes when we say that, it kind of sounds weird and funny, like that's kind of a weird way of asking, have you been saved? The reason we use language like this is because that's exactly what we need. Our condition is so grave, it's so serious that what we need is to be rescued. What we need is for someone to step in. If the wages of our sin is death, if, if God's wrath aiming toward us rightfully because of our sin, we need somebody to step in and save us from that judgment, save us from that wrath. Amen? So for instance, if you were in, in a body of water and you were drowning and you were going under and you did not have the ability to swim and you were going to drown, what would you need in that moment? You would need a Savior. You would need someone to come in and rescue to save you from your conditions. You don't need someone from the bank telling you to swim harder, right? Because if you could swim harder, you wouldn't need to be saved. You wouldn't need to be rescued. You wouldn't even be in danger of drowning. What you would need is for someone to jump in the water and do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And in doing that, they would rescue you or save you out of the water from drowning. Are you with me? And this is exactly what Christ has done. We, were, we are sinners. We have been separated from God. We have fallen short of his glory. We are the objects of his wrath. The wages of our sin is death. And, but, but Paul also says in Romans chapter 5, he says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That Christ stood in our place. If the wages of sin is death, Jesus went to the cross and he died physically in our place to absorb the punishment, to absorb the wrath that we deserve. Jesus stood in our place and he didn't do this when we got our act together. He didn't do this when we got religious. He didn't do this when we figured out that we needed a savior. No, Jesus stepped in, died in our place while we were still in the condition that we were in. He died in our place. So that we might be rescued, Jesus jumped in to the water and received the judgment that we deserved. He drowned in our place so that we might be delivered from our conditions. This is the gospel. It is to be rescued. See, here's the thing. We, we live in this culture of, 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 of religious kind of 
knowledge and information or where we go to church and we kind of get bits and pieces of the gospel. And there, there are a number of people that sit in churches just like this every single week. And while we affirm the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we still trust in our own effort and our own works, thinking that somehow we're good enough to make it on our own. That it's a little bit of Jesus and a, and a little bit of me and we put the two together and now all of a sudden I get, I get eternity and I can have a relationship with God. No, 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 no. It, it is, has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. How do we, how do we experience this? The scripture says is that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that, 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 he, that he raised from the dead, we will be saved. That is to trust, is, is to no longer trust in ourselves or stay in our own condition or keep rights of our own life, but rather when we understand our spiritual condition, when the Holy Spirit awakens our heart to the reality that I'm a sinner separated from God, I am drowning and I need a Savior and I know that Jesus is the Savior, that He died in my place, He resurrected and I'm gonna trust Him with my life and, and, and give Him my heart and my soul. What happens in that moment is that He saves us. We declare that He is Lord and He steps in and He saves us from our sin. This is what the gospel is. It's simply this. I love what J.D. Greer says about this. He said that the gospel can be summarized in one simple phrase, Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. And so here is what Paul is explaining. He's saying, listen, this is the saving work of Christ. And when you embrace this, when you trust in this, when you come to the realization that Christ is your only hope, that he is the one who, is, who has rescued you and that he, he died for you and he was resurrected and if you'll trust in him, you'll be saved. He says, when you experience that, something happens in your heart. There is a transformation that takes place. You, you, you come, become a completely different person. This is what he says. In that moment, you are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. You become, in that moment, a brand new person. And this is where we begin to understand the significance of baptism. I want you to see this. What Paul is saying is, is that when you, when you entrust in Christ as your Savior, you are immersed into Christ so that his death becomes your death and his resurrection becomes your resurrection. That it is as if, in that moment, when you by faith trust in Christ, it's as if you died with Christ and you were resurrected with Christ as well. This is what Paul is teaching. This is why Jesus said what he said to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, this great religious leader who, who believed that by his good works that he would inherit the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus just says, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless a man is born again, what is he saying? Unless a person becomes new, unless they, unless they are rescued by me, and when I rescue them, they become something they were not before. They move from death to life. It's as if, and this is why I love the description here, being born again, it's as if you've been born all over again. You're made alive. This is the way Paul would say it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, for if anyone is in Christ, what's the picture there in Christ? Baptized, immersed into Christ. If anyone is in Christ, trusted in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Well, what, is, what is Paul saying? 
You, you, when, you, when you are saved, you are immersed or baptized into Christ so that you, you are immersed into him. The old is gone. You, you've been buried with him and the new has come. You've been raised with him. There is a complete transformation that happens in your heart. You're no longer the same as you were before. Here's what I want you to see. Listen to me. Listen, salvation isn't merely a mechanical transaction. Salvation is not merely a mechanical transaction. Rather, salvation is a supernatural transformation. And here's what I mean. A lot of people think, well, if I want to be saved, then I just got to, you, you, Pastor, you pray a prayer, then I pray a prayer, and, and that, that prayer will, it's a, it's a transaction that happens, and now once I say these words, now I'm saved and everything is good. But there is so much more to salvation than just you saying a prayer and you mechanically saying, I need this thing. And so just like if I go to the, go to the store and I've got this thing, I'm going to lay my money down and then they're going to give me a receipt and I'm going to get this thing and I'm going to walk out. This is not merely just some transaction. It's a supernatural transformation where you are changed forever. You are made into a brand new person. You are immersed in the death of Christ. You are resurrected in Christ. Therefore, your life is never the same again. And this is the truth. This is my story. Man, I was raised in church. I knew the gospel front and back, up and down. I mean, I could, I could quote it to you. But, but by the age of, of 13, I began to realize, I mean, something was missing from my life. But I, I just rejected it, man. I, I, I knew the gospel. I was kind of a good church kid. And then my life began to derail. Um, and over the next several years, there was just a spiral away from the things that God had for my life. And this awareness the entire time of who Jesus is, what he had done. I even prayed the prayer, but there was never transformation in my heart or life. I was just living for me. I'll never forget, just for a number of years, this spiral. Almost every single week I would hear the gospel and there would be this understanding as this is what you need. And I would run from it every single week. And I convinced myself that I was okay, that eventually I would come around, that my, my parents were good. So even though I knew these things, I would try to convince myself. And the whole time, the Holy Spirit is wooing me, calling me, knocking on my heart's door, and I would not answer. And I finally, one Sunday, it was after a tragic death of a friend. One week, it was actually a Friday night, actually. It was at a revival service. And, man, God spoke to my heart like never before. And, Man, I, I just knew that I could not run anymore. And I'll never forget kneeling down beside my father and calling on the name of the Lord. And something was different. Like, I, I, can't, I can't explain it to you. All I know is the, 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 the guy that knelt down was not the same guy that got up. My life wasn't perfect. My life isn't perfect. It wasn't like I didn't struggle with sin, but there was a definitive difference. There was something that happened, and what happened is what Paul is saying. I was immersed into Christ. His death became my death, and, and he gave me life. I went down a dead man, and I got up an alive man. And I've never been the same since. I've had failures and I've had sin struggles and there are things in my life still that the Holy Spirit is working through me. But listen, my relationship with sin has been completely different because I was raised to a new life that day. Not by power of my own, but by the work of Christ. I'll illustrate it like this. A couple weeks ago, I got on a plane and I went to uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul. I was going to Wisconsin, but I was landed in Minneapolis-St. Paul. So I'll go from Dallas to Minneapolis-St. Paul. So I, I got... I got into an aircraft, 
And, and, and something amazing happened. Like, like just within a few minutes when we took off, my perspective of the world was different. I was seeing things from a different vantage point. I was traveling at a speed that I would never be able to travel on my own. Everything, like I went, and for two and a half hours, I was in Minneapolis, St. Paul. If I, in my own effort, my, one, my view would never change. And secondly, I would, I would, it would take me weeks, months, if I ever got there on foot, right? But when I, when I entered into the aircraft, there, there was a, a definitive difference in my disposition with everything around me. My vantage point was different. The speed I was traveling was different. Everything was different. And it wasn't a difference that I was making, but rather the thing that I entered into. Does that make sense? When you enter in Christ, this is why there's this, this continual reference of Paul in Romans 6 and other places of being in Christ, that when you're in Christ, now there is a new perspective, there's a new way of life, there is a new power that you have received because you have a brand new life, a resurrected life. Here's my question for you this morning. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced that? I don't mean have you, have you had religious moments? Have you had, you know, experiences where you, you know, kind of, I think I know the gospel or, man, God has kind of showed up in my life. But have you experienced the new transforming work of Christ by experiencing him in salvation where you, you went from death to life? Now, for some of you, you may have experienced that as a young child, and I praise God for that. And maybe for you, it wasn't as dramatic, but later on, you kind of, as you grew to understand the, the thing that happened in your life then, there, there were moments where the awareness of that nine-year-old or eight-year-old decision became real in your life, and I praise God for that. But here's what you need to know, whether it's nine years old or 19 years old or 29 years old or 79 years old, listen, no one is saved without being converted, that there is a moment where you move from death to life. And if that has never happened in your life, today is the day that many of you need to trade in whatever your experience was or is or life has been and experience the saving work of Christ where you are rescued and made new. So you say, I thought you were preaching on baptism. I am. All right, I'm going to get there. So explaining to you what, what salvation is and what it does and what it accomplishes in our life helps us understand the significance of baptism. So what is the significance of this baptism when we're immersed into the water? Let me give you two statements here to write down to answer the question. First of all, it's this. Baptism is a powerful illustration of our salvation. Baptism is a powerful illustration of our salvation. So think about what Paul says happens when you trust in Christ as your Savior. You are immersed into Christ, right? You are, you, are, you are buried, died with Him, raised with Him. And so now when a person steps into the baptistry and they declare Christ as Lord and then they go under the water and then they're pulled out of the water, this is a powerful illustration of the salvation that you experienced. So a couple of weeks after I was saved, when I was saved at that church back in uh, 1993, I, I, I got down one man, got up another man. Why? Because the old Todd was dead and buried with Christ, and there was a new Todd that replaced him uh, alive in Christ. A couple weeks after that, I got into the water, and as I was placed under the water and raised out of the water, listen, it was a, a, an illustration, a visible illustration of the invisible work that Jesus had already done in my life. So why should you be baptized? Because, you, listen, 
You are declaring publicly this illustration. You're saying, this is what happened in my life when I trusted Christ. This is what he did in me. This is why I tell people when they're baptized that um, the greatest sermon of the day is not what I preach, but rather what they declare when they're baptized. Because you are giving a, a visible illustration. This is why we baptize by immersion and not sprinkling. There's other reasons, but primarily that the Bible shows us that consistently this is the mode of baptism. This is the way that believers will be baptized, by, by immersion under the water and being brought out. Why? Because it's an illustration. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus being played out in front of all who are uh, observing. Here's the second thing about, the second truth that we see in this whole idea of baptism. Baptism is a public proclamation of our new identification. Baptism is a public proclamation of our new identification. You say, what do you mean? So, so when you are, are saved, your identity now is rooted in Christ. You are baptized into Christ. So the idea is, is that Jesus is now your life. You're no longer defined by your sin. Rather, you're defined by Jesus' righteousness. You're no longer defined by you as autonomous, as the Lord of your life, but rather you're now identified with, with, as Jesus as being your king and the Lord of your life. Are you with me? And so this is now a way that Jesus says, you declare to the world your allegiance to me. So when you are baptized, it's a public proclamation of this new identity, that my identity is rooted in Jesus. And by the way, historically, this is the, re this is the reality. Let me kind of give you a little bit of history here. So if you were living in the Middle East during the days of Jesus, and you were a Gentile who wanted to become a Jew, there was a number of things that you needed to do in order to become a Jew. One of them would have been what they call the ceremonial washing, <coughs> or in the Greek language, it would have been the ceremonial baptism. So a person who was becoming, going from being a Gentile to following Judaism, one of the things that would be the final step, they would, they would step into a cistern, and they would immerse themselves over and over and over again. And the picture that they were painting is, I am washing away my life as a Gentile. And I'm beginning a brand new life as a Jew. In other words, <coughs> I'm abandoning my old life. And now I'm finding a new identity and a new life. I'm no longer going to be identified with who I was. But rather, I'm being identified with who I'm becoming. Are you with me? So this would have been the practice. And so you have this ceremonial washing that would have been very popular, very common. People would have seen this quite often. And then you've got this strange guy in these strange clothes, eating this strange diet down at the Jordan River, and his name is John. And they call him John the Baptist, not because he was the first of our denomination, by the way. He's not like, you know, John the Baptist and Joe the Methodist. I mean, it's where... We're, we're, he, John the Baptist because he was John the Baptizer. He was known. So what John was doing is John was the, the, the forerunner who's preparing the way for the Messiah. And John's message is simple. Hey, the Messiah's here. Prepare your heart. Repent so that you can see him and experience and encounter him when, when, he, when he shows up on the scene. And so John is preaching this message of repentance and preparation. And people who were identifying themselves with John's message and embracing the message, what would they do? They would go down into the water and John would baptize them as they declaration, hey, these people are identifying themselves. They're embracing John's message. In other words, they're becoming disciples of John. So when you see someone getting baptized, you're like, I know what they're doing. They're buying his message. 
they're identifying themselves with what he's saying. They're expressing the repentance that he's preaching by, by giving this picture of baptism. They're, they're going under it. It was kind of strange because historically, to our knowledge, John was the first person to baptize another individual. And then all of a sudden you got this strange thing where Jesus comes in and he tells John, I want you to baptize me. And John's like, nope, you need to baptize me. And Jesus is like, nope, you need to baptize me. And eventually Jesus won and John baptized him. What was Jesus doing here? Jesus was identifying with John's message. Jesus was saying in that moment, what he's saying about me is true and I'm identifying, I'm associating myself. I want everyone to know that I am confirming the message of John. And then you find Jesus' disciples going and baptizing and Jesus commanding that his disciples be baptized. Why? You're baptized in his name as a declaration, as a proclamation that I'm no longer living with me as Lord, but rather Christ as Lord. I'm identified with him. So what is the significance of baptism? Baptism is a powerful illustration of our salvation. Number two, baptism is a public proclamation of our new identification. So here's the second question I want to wrestle with. I told you the first is the longest. The second is going to be fairly easy. When should I be baptized? So when should a person be baptized? Let me give you a a sentence to kind of answer this. Anyone who has made a personal decision... To follow Jesus should be baptized as the first act of obedience or the first act of discipleship. So so any person person who's made a personal decision to follow Jesus should be baptized as the first act of discipleship. So let me kind of break that down for you. Uh, Anyone who has made a personal decision to follow Jesus. So listen to me. Baptism always follows conversion. So for me, I, was, I made a little decision when I was a kid and I was baptized, but I wasn't saved till years later. And upon my conversion, upon my decision to follow Jesus, when he transformed my life, I was baptized. You say, what about your first baptism? I appreciate that moment in my life. But, but true baptism always follows the personal decision to follow Jesus. For some of you, Maybe you were baptized as an, as an infant. Maybe you were baptized as a small child or, or maybe as a teenager. But it wasn't until years later that you actually came to saving faith in Christ where you trusted him as your Lord and Savior. Here's what, what I would say to you. You need to be baptized if you've never been baptized after that moment. You, once you've made that decision, this is one of the reasons we have new believers class for our children. We don't just want to baptize kids because they think baptism is cool. We want to know that they made a decision to follow Jesus. And once they're able to articulate that and ex- explain that to the best of our ability as parents and church leaders to identify, yeah, I mean, it seems like they, they truly understand what it means to follow Christ. We then will baptize them. But, but listen to me, once you make the decision, once that becomes a reality where you have been saved, you need to be baptized. That's why I believe there are a lot of you in this room even now who need to be baptized and maybe until now, you didn't realize that you needed to. So, so let, me, let me express this. This is the first act of discipleship. It's a personal decision once you make a decision to follow Jesus, and it should be the first act of discipleship. So, so for some of you, listen, this is something you know you need to do, but you keep putting it off and keep delaying it and keep kicking the can down the road. And you're like, man, I don't know. And even now you're like, okay, I really need to be baptized, but I don't really want to be baptized. Here's the thing. Here's been my experience through the years. Those disciples 
who delay this first act of discipleship will be delayed in every other area of their discipleship. Jesus commands for you to follow him, trusting him as Lord, and then declare that you've trusted him through baptism. To tell the world that you belong to him. And this should be the very first thing you do as a follower of Jesus. I want to show you some verses of Scripture. I just, I'm not going to read those verses. I'll just give a reference and give you kind of the, the gist of them. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, people, uh, Peter preached the very first sermon of the church, and 3,000 people believed, and those 3,000 people were immediately baptized as a public declaration that they belonged to Jesus. In Acts chapter 8, you see this, that Philip preached in Samaria. And those Samaritans who put their faith and trust in Christ were immediately baptized. Uh, Philip leaves there and he goes and preaches to the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian believes in Jesus and immediately is baptized. In Acts chapter 9, Paul had his life transformed on the road to Damascus. He was led blinded to this guy named Ananias. When he uh, arrived at this location, immediately the apostle Paul was baptized. Acts chapter 10, verse 47, Peter preaches to Cornelius and his household, both Cornelius and his household placed their faith and trust in Jesus, was given the power of the Holy Spirit, and were immediately baptized. Acts chapter 16, verse 15, you see that Lydia, this, this wonderful lady of God who was such a major impact in the early church, she heard Christ and was baptized the very same day that she received him. In the same chapter, you see the Philippian jailer believed in Jesus, he and his household. That evening, they were all baptized before the morning came. In Acts chapter 18, uh, verse 8, you see that Paul preaches in Corinth and a number of people believe in Christ and they were immediately baptized. Why? Because every person that makes a decision to follow Jesus should be baptized as their first act of discipleship. So if you are here today and you're a disciple, listen, you no longer need to wait. You need to walk in obedience to this area of your life, which leads me to the third question. The third question is simply this, why should I be baptized? Why should I be baptized? I'm going to give you a couple of answers for this as we contemplate this. And for some of you, it's, it's going to be decision time for you. Let me give you a couple of reasons why you should be baptized. The first is this. This is going to be very simple. You ready? Because Jesus did it. Jesus was baptized. The one that we follow was baptized. And again, why was Jesus baptized by John? Jesus was baptized by John not for the repentance of sin because Jesus is perfect in every way. Otherwise, he couldn't be the Savior, right? Jesus would need a Savior if he was a sinner. So why did Jesus get baptized? For two reasons. One is what I told you already. Jesus was identifying himself with John's message. Jesus was saying, John is preaching a message that's pointing to me, and I want you to know that, that, that he is telling the truth about who I am. Here's the second reason Jesus was baptized. He was, he was showing a picture of what he would ultimately do for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. So in, in Matthew chapter 4, when you see Jesus immersed under the water and coming up, Jesus is giving us a, a preview. This is what I came to do. I came to die and be resurrected. And for everyone who would call on Jesus for salvation, we too, just like Jesus, should, we, should be baptized. We should want to do everything that Jesus did, and we should want to publicly declare that we belong to him. So why should we be baptized? Number one, Jesus did it. As a follower of Christ, is there anything right that you would not want to follow your Jesus in? Here's number two. 
Jesus did it. Jesus demands it. Jesus demands it. Listen to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus commands it. He says, Go, make disciples of all nations. And when you make a disciple, you do what to them? You baptize them, which means every disciple should be baptized. Jesus demands this of us. And if he is Lord, then how can we say? This is the, the, the question Jesus asked. He says, why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I tell you? Like, why would you say that I am Lord and not do what your Lord commands you to do? Because you can't say Lord and then say no. Like by saying no, you're saying you're not Lord. So if Jesus demands you as a follower of Christ to be baptized, then what would keep you from being baptized? Jesus demands it of you. And here's the last reason, the biggest reason, and the greatest reason, and I believe the ultimate motivation for us. Listen, is this. Jesus deserves it. Jesus deserves it. When you think about the gospel, when you think about the reality that Jesus died in my place, that he lived the life I couldn't live, died the death I deserved to die, was resurrected, and that by grace, through faith in him, I am made alive. My sins are forgiven. Eternity is secured. He is my Lord. He is the one that has given me life. Then doesn't he deserve our declaration to say to the world, I am not ashamed to say that I belong to Jesus. I mean, Jesus deserves this. I know there's people that say things like, oh, I just don't like getting in front of people and, and I don't like big crowds. And man, I just don't know that it's for me because man, I'm just kind of an introvert. And here's what I would say to you. Listen, your baptism really isn't about you and your comfort. It is about a declaration of the one that died in your place that gave you life. Doesn't he deserve the one that stood in your place on the cross? Every sin we've ever committed laid on his shoulder as if he was the guilty one and receiving in himself the full weight of the wrath of God. Doesn't he deserve our obedience? I don't know about you that for me, when I think about like this ring on my finger, This, this ring reminds me every single day that I outkicked my coverage when it comes to marriage. Like, I, I got an unbelievable wife, an amazing wife, like a wife that I don't deserve, a wife that I could never even like script out, hey, this is what I'd be looking for. Like, I couldn't even get there because she so far exceeds anything that I could ever put on paper. And, and, and knowing that, I, listen, I wear this ring proudly. I wear it proudly because I, I, I am not ashamed to say that Adrian Connitz has my last name and that we made a covenant together to devote our lives together. Every time I feel this ring on my hand, I am reminded of the goodness that God has given me in her. And I am not ashamed for every single person, every woman on the planet to know I'm off the market. My heart's been given away. I belong to her, she belongs to me, and I proudly wear this every single day. 
because I'm overwhelmed with the gift that I have in my wife. Baptism is the wedding ring. It's the public declaration to say, I am overwhelmed at the goodness of God. I am overwhelmed at the reality that that despite of who I am, Jesus made me his own, that I have been forgiven and I have been saved and I belong to him. And, And so baptism is us getting into the water saying, I am not ashamed to say that I am his and he is mine and and I am off the market. There's nothing this world has to offer me. I am fully in. I'm devoted to him and I want nothing else of this world other than I want Jesus and I want the world to know that he is mine. This is what baptism declares. Jesus deserves this. Amen. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.